Welcome back to this week's episode of The Emily Show. This week, it's the Lisas and the lawsuits. A little bit about Lisa Vanderpump's series of ongoing lawsuits, most of them related to all of her business endeavors. Look, no shade. A lot of (laughs) more money, more problems, right? With a lot of business endeavors, it's not surprising. There's one in particular that was kind of sensationalized. I can't find the documents for it anywhere, and I want to talk about that. And then, you know, Lisa Rinna, also getting sued, getting called out about getting sued on Twitter. And we're going to pull into that lawsuit as well, because really it's a lot of, it, you know, it's a lot of flap about nothing, truly. There we go. That's the episode. Good night, Chicago. No, I'm teasing. We're going to get into it because, you know, the leases and the lawsuits, we just need to talk about it. And we love talking about some Real Housewives legal drama, don't we? I do. I do. Do you? Let me know. Either in a review for the show or on the socials at the Emily D. Baker. If you don't follow me on social media, it is the way to keep up with all the things that I'm doing. So Twitter, TikTok, yes, I have a TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, all the places at the Emily D. Baker. Come on, come hang out with me on social. It's fun, I swear. And that's where we can chat about this, for sure. Hey there, welcome to The Emily Show. I'm your host, Emily D. Baker, badass lawyer and everyone's favorite legal commentator, breaking down the legal shit in the news and pop culture stories you want to talk about. I've been a licensed attorney for over 15 years, I'm a former prosecutor, and I'm a big fan of the cursey words. So let's break it down. Today's quote is going to happen as I get to each Lisa's story, because each Lisa is getting their own quote. But a brief reminder, remember, these are lawsuits. And lawsuits are what? Say it with me. Allegations and shade. Yes, they are. Lawsuits are allegations. They are written by the party that thinks the other party sucks. They don't like them at all. They think what they did is terrible and in some way kind of illegal and that they should be made to pay. So lawsuits are written very strongly to shade the other side. Your Honor, look, they suck. That is what we're here to talk about because don't we live for a little bit of shade? (laughs) A little bit, a little bit of shade. We do. I do too. Um, Speaking of shade, before we get all the way into shade, I just want to remind you that the Lawnard Shop Summer Collection is going away. We will be having a back-to-school collection, so don't forget to check out lawnardshop.com, lawnardshop.com for all your Lawnard needs. The Control F Yourself merch, very popular. So is some of our Lawnard Defined, because facts, not fuckery. And just maybe, maybe, Allegations and shade merch will be coming soon. I say maybe, but it's because it's happening. (laughs) We are going to talk about Lisa Vanderpump first. Life isn't all diamonds and rosé, but it should be. LVP. I don't know if LVP was the MVP of the Beverly Hills, but for those of you that aren't big Housewives fan, Lisa Vanderpump is you know, an OG of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills and was then removed from the show. She or left or chose to leave. I don't know the details of that. Let me know on social. Um, she she had a falling out with Kyle Richards. Her husband famously yelled, goodbye, Kyle. It was like a whole thing. They own quite a lot of businesses, including you know, restaurants and bars in Hollywood and West Hollywood, along with a dog rescue organization. They are very passionate about their animals and their dog rescue. And that's why I was so surprised to see this first 
Um, this first lawsuit that was reported by TMZ, what I will say is that often TMZ, I don't like the way they spin things, but they often are also correct about things. But this is arising out of an issue in Los Angeles, and I cannot find this lawsuit in the LA County Superior Court system. I cannot find it in the federal system. It may be elsewhere, but I have not found it in the places that I have looked under the names of these organizations or under Lisa Vanderpump's name as an individual. But it was reported on TMZ, they say, from legal documents obtained by them, and they named the woman. They do not put her actual name in this article, so we don't have a whole breakdown of this. Future Emily here. Guess what? I found the Vanderpump Dogs Wormy Dog complaint, and we're going to go over it real quick because Wormy Dog complaint. So me saying I can't find it, you know why? It's because they put in the full title Vanderpump Dog Foundation, a California domestic nonprofit corporation, DBA Vanderpump Dogs. And it looks like that all populated in the search bar. So when I was just searching for Vanderpump Dog Foundation, it did not come up. It didn't come up without that whole thing. But I found the name of the plaintiff. Kimberly Dillon, and we're going to get into this complaint. So if you are squeamy, um, fast forward a little bit. On the video, there will be timestamps. On the on the podcast, just go forward a few minutes. <laughs> this is a 15-page complaint. We're going to break down what they allege, allegations in shade, and then get into what the causes of action are. As a brief overview, they are negligence, breach of express warranty, breach of implied warranty, intentional misrepresentation, fraud, and negligent misrepresentation. The allegations are that Kimberly Dillon resides in LA, Vanderpump Dog Foundation is in LA, that there are does, that they don't know who they are. Does, in this case, could be employees and what have you. They go on to allege that plaintiff is informed, believes, and thereon alleges that all of the acts, conduct, and nonfeasance herein carried out by each and every representative, employee, agent of each and every corporate or business defendant was, were, authorized, ordered, or directed by the representative defendant's corporate or business employers, officers, directors, and or managing agents. That, in addition, there to said corporate or business employers, officers, directors, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, are to blame, essentially. So the actions of the employees, they're alleging, carry on to the employer and allege that several times over through that establishing, look, you are a contracted employee. These are the things you did. You did it on behalf of the employer. We're suing the employer, not the employee. The statement of facts is that Vanderpump Dogs is located on West 3rd Street in LA, that on or about July 13th, 2019, plaintiff, a business invitee, visited Vanderpump Dogs to adopt a small puppy. So the business wanted her there. She was welcomed. It's interesting the way that they um, they phrased that. It's kind of old school. On said date, plaintiff inquired as to the available brown female Dotson puppy named Cassie located in one of the store's fenced puppy pens. Based on information and belief, Cassie had not yet received deworming treatment at the time. Said employees did, however, advise plaintiff that it was completely safe to hold and interact with her. After spending several hours, the staff asked plaintiff if she was interested in adopting the dog, which she was. Plaintiff submitted an application to adopt her. On July 14, 2019, plaintiff's application was approved by defendant and a staff member contacted her regarding the approval. It's interesting that they, that's an assumption. So in the statement of facts, they say her application was approved by defendant and staff contacted her. They believe that because of what happened next, but 
you know, it's just the way it's worded to me. I'm like, oh, that's an assumption. (laughs) She was contacted and told that her application was approved. Mm, Different. That same day at approximately 4.15, she returned to Vanderpump Dogs to finalize the adoption and submitted the fee of $680. Prior to finalizing the adoption, plaintiff asked the staff many questions about the dog, specifically inquiring as to her health. The staff assured her that the puppy was in healthy condition and that all necessary treatments and shots had been rendered to her. They provided plaintiff with what they're alleging is a false immunization record for Cassie and false certification that Cassie was dewormed. Believing defendants plaintiff completed the adoption and brought her home that same evening. So that same night, the passage of time is that night, that very night, not when she played with the dog for hours on end at the store, but that night the dog started acting irregularly. It said up here that she was there for hours, spending several hours with the dog the day before. So the health didn't change substantially, I wouldn't think, in 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 the day. If you've spent several hours with the dog, this is more than, I see that dog, I want that dog, I'll come back. This is spending several hours with the dog and then the very next day taking the dog home and saying that when you take the dog home, at that point, they're alleging in paragraph 18 that plaintiff noticed Cassie acting irregularly, specifically the playful, loving puppy from earlier that day was repeatedly scooting across the floor and appeared to be in distress. And that never happened at the, like it never happened at Vanderpump or did she write it off because she hadn't been dewormed yet? How long do deworming treatments take? I don't know these things. Plaintiff became increasingly concerned about behavior that did not abate. Late in the evening on July 16th, plaintiff made the disturbing discovery that Cassie was expelling large live worms while defecating. The warning stated earlier still applies. At the same time, plaintiff immediately contacted Vanderpump Dogs via calls and text messages and received no response until the following day. Okay, look, this is in the evening. It says late. The, 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 the very paragraph above it says late in the evening, plaintiff made the discovery and immediately contacted them and received no response until the following day. That's not unreasonable that late in the evening, employees aren't responding to customer calls. (sighs) She contacted Vanderpump Dogs via calls and text message and received no response until the following day. Plaintiff rushed Cassie to a pet hospital immediately where Cassie was treated for a serious worm infection. Over the next several days, plaintiff herself began to feel ill. To plaintiff's horror, she herself began to expel live worms and eggs from her mouth, lady bits, and bum, bum. They use the technical word that rhymes with Venus. Yes, because YouTube things. On or about July 23rd, 2019, plaintiff was diagnosed with intestinal parasites and received potent medication due to the severity of the infestation. This was from July 16th to July 23rd. That is a lot. That is a lot. Um, That's a lot. They go on to say, in addition to her grave physical injuries, is it grave? I mean, it's fucking disgusting as alleged, but is it grave? Once again, lawsuits are allegation and shade. In addition to her grave physical injuries, plaintiff was utterly traumatized. Well, no doubt if that happened, that would be traumatizing and continues to suffer from severe emotional distress, shock, disgust, and nightmares. 
plaintiffs inconceivable. 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 Illness and injuries occurred as a result of the lack of Cassie receiving the necessary and proper treatment representations by Vanderpump dogs that Cassie was in healthy condition despite a serious worm infection and plaintiff receiving blatantly false information regarding her actual health. Defendants and each of them are responsible for plaintiff's trauma resulting from the breach of duty owed to plaintiff and the illness and injuries that subsequently and directly occurred. If not for defendants and each of their failures to provide Cassie with the required deworming treatment and failure to inform plaintiff of the truth at the time of the adoption, plaintiff would not have suffered serious and traumatizing injuries. What would she have done differently? Demanded that they deworm her, I guess. Taken her somewhere else to be dewormed? I guess. I don't know. Let me know. First cause of action, negligence. Um, they owed a duty to tell you the truth and did not. That is their negligence cause of action. Um, because defendants are a canine rescue and adoption center. That's like literally their job. And they provided statements that she was immunized and dewormed. The second cause of action is breach of express warranty against defendants, alleging essentially the defendants represented that she was a dewormed puppy in healthy condition, and the puppy had pre-existing infection sickness in the form of advanced parasites and was ill and did not fit for adoption. So this misrepresentation caused all the harm and expense that went on from this. Um, because there would have been expense incurred to take care of the puppy and take care of herself. Those things are easily provable with records. So we'll see what happens. Third cause of action, breach of implied warranty against defendants. Again, um, this is an adoption agency. They are saying that the dog is in a fit condition. It would be reasonable for someone to trust that that was true, that what they are saying is true, that the documents they're giving them are accurate. I'm sure that whatever vet she took them to probably had some statement or would make some statement that, hey, these things don't coincide, and we'll see what happens with that. Fourth cause of action, fraud, intentional misrepresentation. Again, going back to that she had had the things done and was in healthy condition and was not. Fraud, concealment against defendants. Again, same. These are all different causes of action, essentially breaking down the same thing. The truth about the dog was not told, and because of that, these other things, the trauma and expense, occurred. Sixth cause of action, fraud, negligent misrepresentation for the other, you know, one for the false, you know, immunization records, one for the false deworming. And then the prayer for relief is for general damages, special damages, punitive damages, prejudgment interest, cost of suit, and such other as the court deems necessary. This has quite a lot of, you know, really ugly facts in it. And I am sure once they get to the table, this will resolve outside of court. It looks like the corporation has been served with this lawsuit. This was just recently filed in July. So it will be a while before we see a response from the Vanderpump uh, dogs entity. But when they do respond, I will keep an eye on it. I am curious. I am curious. I have now found it. So now we will not lose it. And let's get back into the rest the rest of our show. I looked into a number of the employment lawsuits with regard to Vanderpump Dogs, not regard to the bars. There are employment lawsuits with regard to the bars. Look, employment litigation happens. It happens. Um, they run multiple companies 
with lots of employees and multiple, you know, and television shows. It's going to happen. But I just looked at the ones regarding Vanderpump Dogs because I was already looking at Vanderpump Dogs for things. There are two employment lawsuits that I looked at, one from Damia Guzman, who sued because her coworker was harassing her. And again, we have seen in the Blizzard lawsuit and in other employment lawsuits that you can't just allow employees to run wild. With regard to uh, Damiana's lawsuit, she alleges that her coworker had called her things like a flat-ass bitch and a skinny, no-ass fool. I mean, these are not words I've ever heard in my life. Um, the opposite, generally. Talking about the size of my ass in a negative fashion. But you can't comment on people's bodies in the workplace at all. She said that she was a dog groomer for two months and resigned in July 2019 because of those intolerable working conditions created by her manager. Here's a hint. If you're someone's manager, don't comment on their body ever. Just don't do that. Just don't do that. Don't do that. She said that her manager mocked her and that her manager told her that he didn't know how her girlfriend could stand to be with her because she had no ass and claimed that he would turn her straight. All inappropriate harassment in the workplace, um, all harassment that is, you know, covered under the law. I will say that it looks like this lawsuit has resolved. It was, there was a dismissal filed by the plaintiff, in this case, Damiana, indicating to me that this probably resolved out of court with the parties having a conversation. And in fact, a lot of the lawsuits that I looked at with regard to Vanderpump Dogs, except for one, had resolved, it looked like, outside of court because they were filed. There were court dates. It looked like they were handling things. And then there was a uh, motion to withdraw the lawsuit filed by the plaintiff, meaning things had progressed to the point where the plaintiff was like, yeah, the, okay, we're done. I withdraw my lawsuit because they have probably settled with a confidential settlement agreement in some way. She also alleges that there wasn't a day that went by that the manager didn't make comments about her body, her sexual preferences, and his sexual prowess. If you see this going on in a workplace and that person's not terminated the second it comes up, uh, it's a liability for the employer. Those people can't, you cannot have people sexually harassing your employees. Management can't sexually harass your employees. That's not... <sighs> It's just not okay. And on the heels of the Blizzard lawsuits, again, it's it's so staggering that people just wild out in the workplace. It's ugh, it's wild. And there are lawsuits going on with regarding to um, Tom Tom Sir Pump and Via Blanca as well with uh, server wages. And if you guys are interested, let me know, and we will get into those on another day. But employment and managing people and making sure that those people don't wild out in the workplace and get you sued can be difficult. But if you're going to own a business that is part of doing business, that has to be taken really seriously by the employer. The other employment lawsuit that I looked at was by a gentleman named Eswin Ronaldo Belux Yak. And if you are listening then I'm sorry that you can't see this. If you are watching on the YouTube version, then you get to see the spelling of this name, but also the fact that the lawyers spelled his name wrong in the first place. And I'm going to pull that lawsuit up so you can take a look at it while I talk about it briefly. This lawsuit did not settle out of court. This lawsuit 
had something entirely different happen. So in this lawsuit, Eswin Ronaldo Belux Yak, who somehow the attorneys call him Nelson, Nelson Leon, not Eswin Ronaldo, Nelson Leon. So I don't know if one is a a AKA because what they say in the lawsuit is that his name is Eswin Ronaldo Belux Yak, and they call him by Belux, B-U-L-U-X, Belux. But I don't know if that was a typo at the top. Like, are you using, I mean, obviously you have like complaints that are templates and what have you, but uh, Nelson Leon Belux, I don't know. It doesn't say AKA, it doesn't say otherwise known as, so I'm confused by the naming full stop. In this case, they make a number of wage and hour claims and failure to pay wages out of the um, employment with Vanderpump Dog Foundation, California business. Um, they go through very brief facts that he was hired in May 2017 um, by the Vanderpump Dog Foundation in the cleaning services department at the Vanderpump Dog Foundation's dog facility on 3rd Street in Los Angeles. He was a full-time employee, worked 40-plus hours a week, was also required to work Saturdays. His duties included providing cleaning services, as well as at Vanderpump Dogs, customers' dog booth at the facility, and at customers' homes. I don't understand how you can go provide cleaning services at customers' homes. I don't know if that is a, a service that Vanderpump Dogs offered in 2017. His hourly wage was calculated at $12.50 an hour for 29 months until he was laid off in October 2019. His overtime amount earned, however, was inaccurately calculated. In addition, during his employment, he was not typically allowed to take uninterrupted meal and rest breaks. That is something you have to be mindful of as an employer, that you have to mind the laws for meal and rest breaks. And those can't generally be interrupted by work, except in certain exempt types of employment jobs. But it is really something that people aren't nearly as mindful enough about, and you can end up getting sued for. Those are all the details he puts in there. Then he goes through the different causes of action, including failure to pay wages. We've talked about these similar types of causes of actions with the Kanye West Sunday service, failure to pay, failure to pay overtime, failure to provide meal and break periods. And we've talked about it with the James Charles employment lawsuit and others. These are not uncommon causes of action. Wage and hour, failure to provide rest periods. Another cause of action for wage and hour, failure to pay overtime and uh, wage and hour, failure to provide plaintiff with accurate itemized wage statements. Again, they have to get all their records. The records have to be accurate. Generally, you would have an, a company do that. And then if you got sued, you can sue the company and be like, why didn't you do this accurately? Failure to pay waiting time penalties. So failure to immediately pay upon severance. And if wages are calculated wrong, there can be an argument like, look, because you calculated it wrong when I left employment or when employment was severed, you didn't accurately pay me during the period of time that you have to pay me when I'm terminated. So you generally have like 48 to 72 hours to pay someone. And if you don't pay them because you've paid them inaccurately, then you trigger this provision as well. They also said retaliation was an issue, but they didn't allege any facts that go to retaliation, like no facts that say that they brought up what happened. And they they allege here that since his injuries, plaintiff faced retaliation from defendants and its employees, but there was no allegations about that in the statement of facts, which is very much odd. 
It's just very, very odd that they're incorporating the other paragraphs, but it doesn't allege, like it doesn't say that that cause of action has not been pled anywhere. And facts were not pled. They also say that he was a whistleblower, that he was retaliated against by terminating and singled out for disadvantageous treatment, but they don't say what the facts were that led up to that at all, which is, which is, you know, defective on its face. Seventh cause of action for wrongful discharge, and that's for firing him. And they're saying that his termination violated the law. The eighth cause of action, violation of California business and professions, unfair business practices, saying that the unfair business practice was violating his rights. Um, They talk about a hostile work environment and that he was harassed, but that's not alleged. Like, no harassment's alleged up above, so I've got questions about how they find that, too. Like, this is a strange lawsuit for me. There are just, there are, it feels like it was cookie-cuttered from another lawsuit, and it was like, oh, when we plead these things, we plead all of them together. No, no, it should go, um, it should go case by case, not just like, oh, yeah, this is what we allege, because some of these things aren't set out in facts. So they ask for a declaratory judgment, unpaid wages, and injunctive relief as well as a sum of money, they they plead for relief as to each cause of action and set forth the overtime for, you know, any overtime, eight hours a day, 40 hours a week, which they would have to calculate when getting the correct records. They allege kind of the statutory minimums. They do not allege a certain amount of monies. So they don't say this is a lawsuit for X amount of dollars, which is very interesting because they win a judgment in this lawsuit for quite a substantial sum of money, I would think. You let me know if you think it's substantial. I'm curious. But they win a default judgment on December 4th, 2020, so over a year ago, whether they've perfected that judgment, I have questions. But they won a default judgment because um, Vanderpump Dogs or their representatives never showed up in this case at all. And they won $246,377.01 as of December 4th, 2020, signed by the court. The damages being $213,143.50. The prejudgment interest at a rate of 10% being $21,234.31. The attorney's fees being $11,085.20 cost being $914. And they said other punitive damages, 150,000. The court struck the punitive damages from this. It is a default judgment, struck the punitive. And the judge probably read the motion was like, some of these things aren't properly pled, but you know, struck the, uh, struck the punitive damages, brought the total down to $246,000. What's interesting is when I looked at this, whenever there's a default judgment, I always look to see what the service of process is. And Vanderpump Dogs Foundation or Vanderpump Dog Foundation was served on their corporate service of process individual. And so seeing them participate in all the other lawsuits, it was curious to me that they did not participate in this lawsuit and that they did not show up into court on this particular lawsuit, which was very odd because it seems that all the other employment lawsuits, they... um they showed up, defended, and then settled. So at least showed up in the court and said, hey, we're here. We're all going to go talk behind the scenes and sort this out. And then the lawsuits got dismissed. This one didn't get dismissed. This judgment's there. Once again, I don't know if it's been perfected. I don't know if it's been paid. I don't know if they've tried to attach property. But 
a $200,000 judgment for Mr. You know, um, Eswin Ronaldo Belux Yak. There you go, sir. Default judgment. And again, that can happen. That's why corporations should always have someone for service of process because your service of process people will tell you that you've been sued. Like, hey, you've been sued. That's what they're there for. Speaking of you've been sued, let's talk about the husbands. No, you leave the husbands out of this. Let's talk about Lisa Rinna. My advice to you, don't hustle the hustler. My advice to you, don't hustle the hustler. Lisa Renna. Lisa Renna, my advice to you, don't use the paparazzi photos. How about that? Don't use the paparazzi photos. That is what her complaint in this new civil lawsuit is all about. It's about using paparazzi photos through a paparazzi company called Backgrid, who has sued others as well. Of course, Backgrid didn't do what Triller did. It didn't try to sue everybody in one lawsuit. It like sued them each in their own lawsuits. So they went and sued people in all their individual lawsuits for using their photos. Lisa Renna was one of those persons. Let's see what this lawsuit has to say. Again, if you're on the audio only, I'll be reading from the complaint. Those of you on YouTube, you get to see it. Jurisdiction and venue. This civil action against defendants for acts of copyright infringement under the Copyright Act. This court has subject matter jurisdiction. This is filed in federal court. Venue is proper in this district because defendants and their agents reside and may be found in this judicial district. So it is in the Central District of California. Lisa Renna is a resident of Los Angeles County. And then they just get into the facts. Backgrid and the photographs that frame this dispute. Backgrid owns and operates one of Hollywood's largest celebrity photograph agencies, their paparazzo, that has earned a reputation for regularly stalking. I mean, it, it doesn't say that. It says breaking. Breaking scoops on sought-after celebrity news. It owns the intellectual property rights, including the copyrights to celebrity photographs that have been licensed to numerous top-tier outlets, such as TMZ, Entertainment Tonight, New York Post, People, this is the resume part of the lawsuit. Welcome to the resume part of the lawsuit. People Magazine, Huffington Post, The Daily Mail, as well as many television stations, newspapers, and other prominent media outlets throughout the world. Each license has been granted for valuable consideration up to hundreds of thousands of dollars. True that, you make money, you get paid. Depending on the photo, you get paid. I wonder if that's gone down now that every single person has a cell phone. It used to be that you couldn't just be an average person out walking around and go, oh, there's a celebrity. There's Jason Sudeikis carrying French fries. Let's just, you know, let's just turn on the camera and record. But you used to have to really wait for tabloid magazines and and kind of, I don't know, entertainment news to have these photographs because not everybody just had it in their phone. So I wonder if consideration's gone down. That's my pondering. Among many other in-demand photographs, Backgrid owns coveted photographs of actress, author, and television personality, Lisa Rinna, hereafter the Rinna Photographs. Rinna is best known for her roles as Billy Reed on the NBC daytime soap opera Days of our lives. And Taylor McBride on Fox's television drama, Melrose Place. Since 2014, Rena has been a cast member on Bravo's hit reality series, The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And she's also been a contestant on NBC's The Celebrity Apprentice and ABC's Dancing with the Stars. It's her, it's, it's her fucking resume too, y'all. 
All rights, title, interest in the Rena photographs, the photographs at issue in this case, including but not limited to the copyrights their own, are owned by Backgrid. Backgrid has filed for copyright registration. It attaches the copyright numbers and certificates. I have no doubt that these are actually legitimately copyrighted photos. I have no reason to doubt that. Generally, the copyright is owned by the photographer who takes them, or if they are made work for hire, by the company who the photographer is working for. We've talked about this in other contexts, about um, the Obama election poster photo that the photographer was like, that is my photo that you turned into that um, poster. You can't do that. And then his employer actually said, no, actually, you were working for us at the time. So we own the copyright to the photo you took on assignment for us. You don't own the copyright, but generally the photographer owns the copyright or their employer does. They go on to say, defendant and her willful infringing activity on information and belief, Rinna operates an Instagram account located it, and then they link Lisa Rinna's Instagram account, um, which, you know what, is it easier? I think it is. I'm going to ponder real quick. I think it's easier um, to actually argue that a verified account is their account because even if someone's posting for them or posting on their behalf, it's a verified account. That means it's been verified at least that it is their account. Someone has said, yes, this is Lisa Renna's account. This is owned and operated by Lisa Renna and her people. And there's reason to believe that that's accurate. So I wonder if it's easier to argue legally when it's a verified account. My thoughts, just my ponderings as I'm perusing Lisa Rinna's Instagram, but we'll we'll talk about these photos. They're attached as an exhibit. Of course, they are. On information and belief, Rinna uses the Instagram account to promote her brand and celebrity by delivering content featuring herself to her fans. Yes, there's lots of dancing. To date, Rinna has at least 2.7 million fans. Let's see, I just pulled this up. Uh, 2.8 million followers at the time of this recording on July 27th. Um, this lawsuit was filed on June 11th. So there you go. Growing by the day. Uh, Rena has at least 2.7 million fans who receive instant updates to her account when she posts photographs. Each Posted photo elicits thousands and frequently hundreds of thousands of comments from fans. Moreover, this account is not private, so anyone, including those who do not, quote, follow her account, can access and view the uploaded photos, including the photographs that issues in this lawsuit. Rena violated federal law by willfully infringing on Backgrid's copyrights to at least eight photographs on at least Rena's Instagram account. Uh, by at least, I wonder if they're like, well, it could be on Twitter and it could be other places. So they're not limiting themselves. Attached here to is exhibit B and incorporated herein by reference are true and correct screenshots of Rinna's Instagram account, including screenshots of eight infringed photographs at issue in this lawsuit. Most of the photographs are embossed with the back grid watermark. True that. We have seen other celebrities do this, but yes, a lot of the photos do seem to have the watermark and we will pull them up in the video version and I will um, try to remember to post them on social when this episode goes I will do my best. And they say, moreover, Rinna induced cause or materially contributed to the reproduction, distribution, and public display of the photographs and derivatives thereof, all while knowing or having reason to know of the infringement on her account and that it was without permission, consent, or license. Well, yes, she knew that they were paparazzi photos. A lot of people seem to think, well, I'm the subject of the photograph. Therefore, I should be able to post it on my socials. 
that's not generally the case. On information and belief, Rena operates and controls her Instagram account at all relevant times to this dispute. On or around February 5th, 2021, they sent a demand letter to Rena's attorney regarding this dispute. The parties were unable to resolve this dispute, forcing them to incur the cost and expense of litigation. Let me guess how that went. Hey, this is paparazzi agency. And uh, Rena posted some of these photos on her Instagram. They belong to us. We demand take them down or money or whatever. And we'll go through the exhibit. It looks like a lot of them were from stories. So they were up very shortly and are already down. And um, they went, yeah, those are photos of her and her kids. So um, no, no, they're down. That's it. That's my guess. That is my speculation. The first claim of relief is copyright infringement, stating that posting the photos, they belong to someone else, infringes on the copyright because she reproduced and displayed them. They're going to argue that it wasn't fair use, that there was no transformative use in this, that there are no defenses to that. We'll see if Rena responds with defenses. They say that the above infringements alone would entitle Backgrid to a potential award of up to $1.2 million in statutory damages for at least eight infringed photographs, including attorney's fees. Whoop, there it is. Their prayer for relief is that the defendants, their officers, agents, servants, employees, and representatives, and all persons in active concert or participation with them be permanently enjoined from copying, reproducing, displaying, promoting, advertising, distributing, and selling any other form of dealing and transaction. You know, then I have photos of Blackgrid. Backgrid. Yes, them. Don't do that anymore. Stop it. Your Honor, make them stop. Tell them that they can't do this. That an accounting be made for all profits, income, receipts, or other benefit derived by defendants from the reproduction, copying, display, promotion, other use of the photos. What would they like? The analytics of how many people saw the stories? We're going to go to the photos in a minute, but there it's not as if they were reproduced into a ad spot or like a swipe up to buy this. They were just shared. So how do you account for profit or income if there's actually no profit or income it's just shared because i don't know how you would do that they're asking for disengorgement of profits i would be really surprised if there were any profits uh it's an easier case if she took it and then used it to advertise or promote something um one of them's a meme and we'll get to that in just a moment and they demand a jury trial yay jury trial a jury's gonna be like I'm sorry, she, you're, you're angry because she posted pictures of herself? Okay, you know there's actual real issues in the world. Not to make light of intellectual property. Intellectual property is important. Stealing from artists is bad. I just don't think a jury in Los Angeles is going to be highly empathetic to a paparazzi agency. I think they may be more empathetic to others who have their copyright infringed. I don't, I just don't see that empathy being here for this company, but you never know. Stranger things have happened. And they share the different um, images that seem to be from Instagram stories. And you can see at the bottom, there's a hash back grid on there. We see other celebrities sharing these things. One is a photo of her and her daughters and Harry Hamlin walking through what looks like a parking lot in Malibu. It says hashtag family thriving even after I fucked them up with like a laughing smiley face emoji. Okay. The next one is a picture from the same day of Amalia and Harry Hamlin. Um, just, you know, being all adorable and stuff. 
with an at to her daughter, Amalia Gray. Okay. The next one is a meme that says how I think I look running errands in athleisure versus how I actually look running errands in athleisure. The first photo is her looking adorable, modeling a pair of leggings and a shirt and being all cute and done up. The other, she is, she is just looking a little, a little rough, um, in a hat and glasses, carrying her purse and water. It's not the most flattering photo in the world. Uh, and so it's just kind of funny that she used that particular photo to be like, yeah, this is how I think I look versus how I actually look and poking a little bit of fun at herself. Um, in again, what looks like a Instagram story. Then it was posted to her wall. I should go look with y'all and see if it's there. Um, and it shows some of the comments of her sharing this photo. Somebody says, my good, I just wish I looked like this. Somebody said, dear God, eat something. Somebody said, ew. Look, she, I don't know why they picked those comments to highlight, but they showed that this photo was not just shared in meme form, but also shared on her grid as of November 19th, 2019. And, you know, I don't even know if that's still there. That's a way long time ago. Like November 2019 was a minute ago. Let's see. We got to, oh, we're only at April of this year. No, that will take forever. We're not, what we're not going to (laughs) do. It was up at one time. That's what matters. There's another one that looks like an Instagram story that says Joey Maloof. I just love this photo and it's Kyle walking in front and Rena walking behind. It tags Kyle and it's them walking out and about. It's clearly a paparazzi photo. Another one is her daughter is getting into a car in like pajamas and it says twinning the girls in their best at blue salt boat coats. I don't even think that's an ad. It doesn't say it's an ad, but it also has the watermark for back grid and it says sister act and has a description about them. So I don't know if this was a snap from the website, if this was a snap from a publication that shared it. Another one is a picture of, I think that's Amelia with somebody who's not Scott Disick. I don't, I have no idea who the dude is. And it says these cuties, it looks like it was shared in stories and has the watermark on it. Another one of Harry Hamlin and their daughter Delilah with the caption, Hey there, Delilah. Hey there, Delilah. She looks very cute. Another one of Amelia Gray that says killing it and has her added in it. And you can see a little bit of the watermark from this company but none of them that appear to be advertisements that will matter for disengorging any funds but it won't matter for the infringement sharing of the thing is when the infringement happens it will be interesting to see if they argue fair use or what copyright defenses come up but at the end of the day a lot of celebrities have been sued for this this is not uncommon this is a mistake that quite a few people make and it really isn't all that juicy even though twitter seems to be like oh my god rena's getting sued it's like in the grand scheme of things, this is mostly paparazzi photos of her kids being shared on Instagram stories that have a lifespan of like 24 hours. So I don't know. I'm not hugely moved by the drama of it. It just is. But we do talk about copyright and intellectual property in all of my content. And so it is something I'll keep an eye on. I'm interested to see what defenses, if any, they assert and how this case goes. Because Digital has made it way easy to infringe on on copyright and people aren't always aware. The watermark is not enough. 
The watermark doesn't mean you have permission to use it and share it. And when photographers make their money off of selling photos or licensing right to photos, it is stealing their work. No matter what you think of paparazzos or paparazzis or paparazzi, I don't know. Whatever the plural for paparazzi is. Maybe it's just paparazzi. Maybe it's just one, the one. And those those are kind of my rundown of the lawsuits with the Lisas. Um, I will be very interested to see if I can continue to find this dogworm lawsuit. It's horrifying to me. I have so many questions about that. It, it will be interesting to see if anything comes of or anything is further reported about that default judgment that happened for a couple hundred thousand dollars. And then I'll be following this Lisa Rinna copyright suit. It's a one, you know, one and done. Hey, six photos. We have the rights to them. We've registered the rights to them. You actually can't do that. And it's interesting to me that they weren't able to reach resolution. I wonder what the company was asking for. I imagine they'll reach resolution and that this probably won't go to trial, but we will see. I hope that you enjoyed this episode of The Emily Show. Again, don't forget to go follow me all over the social medias at The Emily D. Baker. Raise a glass and let's see if we can get this ending right this week. Let's try to do it just the first time. So raise a glass. May your Wi-Fi be strong. May your toilet paper be plentiful. May your family be well. And may the odds be ever in your favor. I appreciate you. Thank you for being a honored. And I will talk to you next week on The Emily Show. 